Hi, and welcome to the Dream Permit Podcast, a podcast dedicated to inspiring moms and empowering moms to live up to their full potential without viewing motherhood as a hindrance. And I'm your host, Emma. I'm so glad you're here. This episode is sponsored by my signature coaching program, You Unveiled. Do you feel like you've lost your identity to motherhood? Do you have dreams you would like to achieve but you feel you can't simply because you're now a mom? Would you like to make extra income utilizing skills and gifts you already possess? If you answered yes to any of the questions, I'd love to chat with you. Let's see if you're a good fit for the program. Book a free call at dreampermit.com slash chat. That is dreampermit.com forward slash chat. Let's get your identity back and make you some money. Welcome to another episode of the Dream Permit Podcast. Today, we'll be tackling real estate investment. And to help us demystify this topic, I have Chiaguze Fowley in the guest chair. Chiaguze Fowley is a pediatric anesthesiologist with a passion for real estate investing and entrepreneurship. As the founder and CEO of Lobinus Properties, Chiaguze has taken on rehab projects, apartment complex syndication deals, and good old buy and hold deals, all while working full time. Guys, you hear that? All while working full time. I had lies in helping others build their own thing. To do this, she runs the Jacob Project and Jazz of Oils. The Jacob Project is an online school hosting a real estate investment kicker Kickstarter course. Jazz of Oil is a network marketing outfit where she promotes building your own business around wellness products using digital marketing tools. She currently lives in upstate New York with her husband and two beautiful girls. Welcome to the show, Chiagose. Thank you very much, Emma. It's my pleasure to be here. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So excited to have you. So this hot topic, real estate. I know, you know, like my ladies listening, my mommies, we all want to make some money. So how, why is real estate actually a good investment? You know, why not stock, bonds, putting your money in a savings account? Why real estate? Oh, that is a very good question, actually. So... For me, why I went into real estate was that um, in real estate, you can actually see what's going on. I feel like real estate gives you a tangible, um, I guess, object, something that you can actually wrap your head around easily, something you have control over. Like, for example, if you if you invest in stocks, you're simply buying a piece of a company, but you don't really have um, as much of a say as to what the company is doing. Yes, you may have like a hint of a share. Um, in the decision-making process, but you really don't pick the CEO. You don't, you know, the company can do what they want, but with, with real estate, you own the property. Like you have a tangible asset. You have something you can pass on to your children, your children's children. And for me, honestly, it was a real easy thing to understand. Like I looked into stocks myself and I realized I couldn't, t- I, I, I just didn't understand. Like I'm, I didn't understand how uh, companies were valued. I didn't understand how, you know, what made things go up, what made things go down. Yeah, so I like real estate because, number one, people will always need a place to live. Number two, it's a, it's a physical asset. And number three, something I can wrap my head around and, and I can pass on to my children. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's very important. Like legacy, you, have, you need to have something to pass on to um, the kids. So can I ask, how many properties do you have? By have, I mean, like, how many have you bought, sold, held, like, just in general? Yeah, so I started out about three three years ago, and uh, my very first deal was was uh, a flip. I actually started out watching a TV show like most, like, like most people. And yeah? And just seeing the profit that was made on individual flips, so I did my first deal as a flip. And then after that one, I went headlong, like, Dove straight into a 12-unit property 
I put together a deal with a, with a few friends of mine. And after that, so in the past, well, let's see, two years now, two and a half years going to three now, um, we were able to get one, two, three, four, five, six. So six, not counting the home that we actually live in right now, which I also bought as an investment, by the way. But. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so in total, that that's about 14? So that is about 18 units. Wow. Yes. Oh, wow. 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 So what do you mean by flip, though? Because I, I just want I just want to clarify that for for myself and for people listening that are like, what did she just say? Yes, I apologize. I t- I tend to use my lingo. Just <laughs> the whole world out there doesn't. What a flip! You don't know what a flip? <laughs> no. <laughs> a flip is something that is like a property that you buy and then you you rehab it or fix it up in some way, and then you you turn it around and sell like right away. Um, ah, it's, it's like a rehab. It's a property that needs work. You know, say the roof is torn up. There's no carpet. There's no paint. It looks horrible. You get in there, get get contractors in there. They fix everything up. It now looks really nice and glamorous. And then you sell it and keep the change. Oh, oh, I like that. Well, how do you wait? I mean, like you're a woman, right? This is no, you know, I'm not trying to create stereotypes here, listeners. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you're a woman, right? And this sounds like... Uh, like a man, a labor, yeah, like a labor-intensive job, like well, quote unquote, like a man's job. So, mm-hmm. like, how did you get your um, workers? Like, how did you get people to actually fix this thing up for you? In in, in real estate, it's very there are a lot of women who who do real estate. Don't there's this um, stereotype, like you said, that it's a, that it's a man's world, and there are a lot of men as well in real estate, but there are women too that are doing huge things. Actually, my first motivation in real estate was when I met this lady, um, Dr. Teresa Martins, actually, who had 102 units at the time. Wow. She was a lawyer and she was a, you know, an, an avid investor. And when I heard that, I'm like, oh my goodness. Now her thing then was that she felt she had, re- she was like, she had retired her grandchildren or her great grandchildren. In other words, the cash flow she was making from her properties essentially could ensure that herself, her children, her grandchildren didn't have to work if they didn't want to. Um, but yeah, you do have to rub shoulders with a lot of men. You do have to, to sometimes fend off like the contractor who thinks you don't know what you're doing because you're a woman. But you do have to remember that, you know what, it's your property, it's your business. So guess what? You're going to speak up for for um, your stuff. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. She. Re- I'm actually fascinated by the fact that she retired her grandkids. Oh, yeah. Wow. That real estate has a lot of potential then. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wow. So like for someone listening now, like how much, how much is required to start? start. There's, yeah. there's a lot you can do in real estate. There's a lot you can do in real estate. So when you ask that question of how much do you need to start, you can start with, you can, you honestly can start with zero. Okay. But it'll be, it's hard. It's harder when you don't have the actual cash to put down but it's not impossible. There are there are different techniques in real estate that you can employ that don't require as much cash up front. There are different there are ways to get around the cash outlay. Now, um I can tell you for example that when I put together the deal for the for the 12 unit, all I put mm-hmm. all I had in the deal at the end of the day was $900. And that was because we ended up having a, a bit of an overage that I that I absorbed that cost. So technically, I could have put together that deal with nothing out of pocket if I had played the cards exactly like I wanted them. Um, that said, real estate is nicer when you have cash, but there are there are ways you can get into it with not as much cash as you as you think. Yeah. <clears throat> so so on average, like what 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 figure? If you were just to give like a like a an estimate, so from say zero to X amount of money is a good start. And you have to remember the audience are moms, right? Yeah. So yeah, you have kids to think about. You have, of course, so of course you also have to plan. I mean, it's an investment, so you have to save or plan in advance. So what is a good number to start with? Now, 
depending on where you live, that okay. number, that number can vary widely, wildly. Okay, that but really, what you want to have is if you're going to be buying a property that you will not live in, yes, you probably need at least twenty to twenty five percent of the purchase price to put down to put up a down payment. Okay. So, so while I can't give you a hard number because I don't know exactly where your listeners are, you, one way to know how much you probably need down is 20 to 25% of the purchase price. And then you add on to that the cost, your your um, closing cost. So at the end of the day, just you can say maybe at least 30% of your purchase price is probably what you need to have down. Now, okay. does that money have to come out of your own pocket? Not necessarily. Like I said, I put together a deal for my friends. So you can get creative. There are creative ways of um, of getting that down payment, okay? And as you look more into real estate, those are the ways that you begin to learn to know, okay, well, I don't have that 30% down, but I can maybe tweak things here and there, maybe partner with someone maybe. You know, you get creative and you and you get things going. What do you think about the traditional way of um, getting a loan from the banks? And are these readily available? How can you get like lower rates, like interest rates and all of that? Do you think it's a good idea to go that route, the traditional route? And what are your strategies for getting like great rates? Absolutely. Um, so I, I mentioned now a few minutes ago that if you will not live in the house, now there is the option that you will live in the house. Now, yeah. if you do live in the house and maybe say rent a room out or you live in the house for like a year and a half and move on to somewhere else, um, then you're able to get the residential uh, interest rates that are much lower than you get for investment properties. So that's always one thing to keep at the back of your mind that there are there are loan packages that are designed for homeowners. So actually one very good way of getting into real estate, if you don't have you know, a chunk of change, is to get into a property that you will live in by your, you know, yourself for a little while and maybe move on to the next one. Because there the bank thinks of you as someone that will live in there. So they give you a better interest rate and they, give you, and they let you put even less down. I'm talking about like 3.5% as against 20%. So yeah. Wow. Three and a half percent as against 20. That's a huge difference. That's a huge saving. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I have a friend actually, um, that like, um, he has this, he's in this situation where he has a property and he has like three different apartments within the property. So he stays in one of the apartments and he rents out the other two so i would imagine that's probably his strategy of getting like um low interest rates so that makes sense that is an excellent strategy that is one one strategy that i recommend to anybody who doesn't mind having close neighbors yeah who wants to get into investment property for cheap because once you live on the property the government feels okay well this is this is a this is this is an owner occupied um house so they're willing to give you to give you you know a good a good loan, good interest rate, and even your and um, and then your your own home expenses are covered by the others paying you rent. So guess what? You get to keep a lot of cash in your pocket, um, and even and I believe even your 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 insurance will even be less. The insurance company knows that. Guess what? You live on the property, so you take care of it, and you won't burn it down. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's good to know. So, I I can hear I can hear a mom in the background now thinking, mm-hmm. I am liking this conversation. I'm liking where this is going. Um, but if I wanted to start, yes. where do I what should I be thinking of? Is it good to invest in a two bedroom, a three bedroom, a full house? Should mm-hmm. I be thinking about the the safety of the neighborhood to get a cheaper house. How does that work? Like, do you go to the expensive districts or the cheaper districts? Like, how do you pick and choose where should I start from? All, all very good questions. And those questions are questions that you have to grapple with, with your personality type, with your 
um, risk your 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 personality type, particularly as it relates to risk aversion, because some people actually tell you that the the properties in the worst neighborhoods, guess what? They cash flow the most. But then you ask yourself, how much cash flow do I want, and how much hassle do I want in exchange for that cash flow? Okay. Mm. When yeah. You're, when you're thinking about these things, you have to see the whole picture. Okay, because initially your mind is, well, I want the most cash flow. But no, 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 you may not want the most cash flow. (laughs) (laughs) The headache that comes with the cash flow is like, yeah. (laughs) If the cash flow comes with too much headache, then it may not be worth it after all. On the other hand, you may think, okay, well, I want the best properties. I want the best neighborhood. I want the, you know, cream of the crop. But guess what? Those ones, everybody wants them. So they end up being overpriced. They end up not cash flowing as well. Um, mm. You know what? I think I'll I think I'll drop a quick nugget for your listeners here. Okay. Don't listen to me. Don't ever do this. Don't think that you can have your tenants pay you what you need to cover your mortgage. Okay. If you think that that is a recipe for disaster, so. As you buy, keep in mind that your tenants may not always pay you what covers your mortgage. You need to do the math. Hmm. Okay. So I'm saying that to say that you have to assess your your personality type. If your personality type is one that is risk averse, then you may want to go more towards the safer neighborhoods, but also know that in those safer neighborhoods, you may not get as much cash flow. So there's... I like how you covered the, the, the nugget you just gave us. I like how you actually specifically stated that do not expect yes. your um to do not expect the tenant to pay for your mortgage. And that's the misconception. Like I actually had that misconception myself mm-hmm. just until now that you just like gave me the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so I'm like I'm going into this um, real estate investment, rental properties, because I plan on having the tenant kind of pay for the mortgage or a good chunk of the mortgage at least Mm -hmm. so that I can get something. I feel like that's how you make the profit. Isn't that, oh, am I missing something? So how do you actually make the profit then if they don't pay for a good chunk of the rent? So how you make the profit is in calculating beforehand how much the tenant will be able to pay or looking at the tenant market and seeing what tenants are paying for a similar house, mm-hmm. and looking at your mortgage and seeing if the tenant pays, what, what's, what's the going rate? Will that cover my mortgage? Does that make sense? Like if your mortgage is, let's say 1400. Okay. And houses like your house, rent for 1200 well guess what at the end of the month you're gonna have to pay 200 dollars to cover your mortgage so guess what you've just done you've just paid for your tenant to live in your house (laughs) okay interesting yeah actually (laughs) yeah so you always oh wow always have to run them and there and there are way more numbers that 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 you know that i have to consider but that's just like a quick and dirty like, don't just go buy a house and think, oh, this is my expenses and I can force my tenant to pay. No, 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 no. There's a, there's a, there's a rental market that has to fit with your mortgage. Mm. Oh, wow. That's good to know. So regarding the, the type of house, like the two bedroom, the three bedroom or, or a full house, is that a preference? Because I used to think it was better to kind of get like a two bedroom because it's easier to rent versus a house. What do you think about that? Again, this goes back to the whole personality type thing. I've had people swear in, swear in different ways f- for me. I had a lady tell me, always buy like a single occupancy type house, like, like a studio, just so that that way it's just one tenant that lives in it. There are less people to deal with. There's less wear and tear on, on your house. And then there are the people that think, you know what? Buy something much bigger. Buy something that you have a more like a stable family that will live there. Um, these aren't like buy like a three bedroom, two bath type house because that's where a family will live and families won't move. So, it, yeah, 
people have their own like theories and methods. Um, you know, I found my sweets, like I find my sweets, but I'm still actually trying out different um different investment types. Like I buy I buy different property types and as I grow, I find myself saying, Okay, well, this one wasn't necessarily the favorite, but look, it's actually performing pretty well. And this one was more of a favorite, but the numbers aren't necessarily yeah. You 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 will see which one gels with you. And one thing that I tell my students is um you don't have to do what everybody's doing. You you can learn from everyone, but at the end of the day, you make your decision based on what works for you, what works for your pocket, what works for your family, what works for your lifestyle. Interesting. Okay. Now I'm thinking <laughs> like this is actually like Giving me light bulb, light bulb um, moments. <laughs> <laughs> it is because like I always thought it was the two bedroom, the you know like goes quickly and all of that. So how easy is it to increase the rent for a family versus someone? I feel like with a two bedroom, you can say okay, sign a one year lease, lease, and then um, you want when it's t- when after one year you can actually increase the rent and then some people will leave some people will stay but with a family unit it's is it harder to just increase the rent so um people actually suggest that you build into you kind of prime your tenants to the idea that their rent will go up on a regular basis and okay. they they know that up front they're they're prepared for it Keep in mind that in some jurisdictions, you can't just jack up the rent like you want. Okay. So depending on where you are, you have to look into the rental laws and how, you know, on how you can increase your rent and factor that into your initial rent. Okay. For example, in New York City, for example, there are rent controlled properties <laughs> and th- those can be, a, 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 those can be a pain sometimes from a landlord's perspective. Um, so if you're going to be, if, if you're going to get into, into buying, buying rental properties, you need to know, you should look into, and these aren't hard things to find, look into what the rental laws are in your, in your vicinity, um, regarding rent increases, how much it can go up, how often, et, et cetera. But in general, for more commonly, you can raise the rent. I'll just say if, if the tenant is going to be there, you know, just think about it like you would. If if you were the one who was a tenant and your landlord yeah. just next day and jacked the rent up by say a hundred bucks, you know that may throw things off a bit. I may make you want to start looking for things. I you know when you start to move people around, then they have their kids have to change school, um, their lives get disrupted. So oftentimes you see that that um, property managers, for example, when they have a good tenant, a tenant who is you know who pays rent on time, who does things very well. They may still go up on the rent, but, you know, not by crazy, you know, to keep that person um, happy almost. You know, you as a landlord should always strive to be a good customer um, service rep. Okay. Your, 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 Your tenants are your clients. They pay your bills to an extent. They do pay your bills, actually. Yeah. And so... To try to create a win-win for all of you, um, knowing that you know these are human beings, these are people like you and me. We've all read it at some point in our lives. And how would you have felt if X matter was handled in in a particular way? Always keep that in mind. Okay, so you mentioned um, rent-controlled property. What does that mean? Oh, these are these are properties in in areas where the the government has put stipulations on on how the rents get increased or change over time. And, you know, uh, <coughs> excuse me. for example, in, in New York City, you have some properties that are in prime areas where a new rental could probably cost like $4,000. And then you have, you know, a nice old lady who has lived in that property for 40 years. And guess what she's paying? She's probably paying the rent that she paid when she first moved in 40 years ago. Oh, um, no. Yeah. For real? So for her, yeah, exactly. They exist. Uh, but, you know, not to say either is fine. Um, you as the investor just need to know if that exists mm. so that you know 
plan your numbers accordingly and not just buy something because you think, oh, it's a hot neighborhood. Maybe a hot neighborhood, but if you have a if you have a, a rent controlled property and you have a tenant who is unable to pay or unable to move or who by government um, law and regulations can uh, has legal right to stay there, you may not be able to meet your expenses with, with the rent on the property. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Hmm. So now that we've kind of gotten the gist about the importance of you know going into real estate and all the good juicy stuff what about the other stuff the stuff that people don't talk about the broken toilets the the annoying lockouts like from a tenant saying oh i'm locked out and you can't leave him or her stranded so you have to physically go there or or if you live in the property right you just have someone knock at your door in the middle of the night. You have a family. How do you deal with that? Is there a way to so first things first, like what are the other what are the risk risks and the loopholes associated with you know, like more associated with this? I've mentioned a few. Can you add more to that so that people are aware of what they're getting into? Number one is like I mentioned earlier, getting a property that does not cover its own expenses. Your goal should always be that your property covers its own expenses, that you're not having to take money out of your pocket at the end of the month to pay stuff happening with that property. That's number one. Okay. Number two is um, over, over rehabbing, over rehabbing. So you have a property that needs some work and then you go in there and put in like glitz and glam all over the place and spend $50,000 in a place where properties are only worth say $100,000. Well, guess what? You're now underwater because when you go to sell, people will not necessarily pay you back for all the glitz and glam you put in there. They will simply pay you what the neighborhood is dictates its worth. Okay? Mm-hmm. So that's another that, that 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 that's another um pitfall that I see a young investors doing. Uh like you said, you know, the the toilet breaks and and the lockouts, those are issues as well. But if you have a walk around, and you know, I, I teach I teach all my students this. Um, if you have a walk around, use the walk around. I am a practicing physician. I wake up I mean, I have to be at work at like six fifty nine in the morning because I have my first cases at seven thirty AM. I do not have the time or energy for phone calls at <laughs> so, yeah. from the very first property I put it in place to make sure that I had systems in place to take care of those 2 a.m phone calls so I don't get them <laughs> I, don't, I don't get those phone calls I um, I hire someone to do that it's and what what is uh the walk around is that a Oh, property managers. Oh, okay. I I kind of like assumed that was it, but then I just wanted to be sure. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. So, so, so what you what I could hear you say is to escape, <laughs> if that's the word, to escape the broken toilets and the midnight um, phone calls. You need a property manager. Yes, and you remember when I talked about expenses? Yes. You want to that you account for them as well. Make sure you account for the cost of a property manager whenever you're buying a property. So that even if you're, I know many people will hear me say, get a property manager and they will still go ahead and plan to manage it themselves. I've been there myself, okay? But even if you're going to plan to manage it yourself, always build in the cost of a property manager to make sure it's profitable. Because Mm. one day... You may decide to go on vacation to, you know, Barbados or Antigua, you know, somewhere beautiful. And you do not want a phone call from your tenant to interrupt your lounging on the beach somewhere where the waters are blue and the sky is you know, nice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The cost of a property manager. And, and also, you're actually doing the job of a property manager anyway. So you might as well be paying yourself for that. Exactly. 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 That is, I mean, that is gold right there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so how do we find the 
right person like how do we find how do we because this is a this is an important job i feel like this is this is like the the major job to keep you profitable so how do you find this person the property manager is there is are there, are there things to look out for is there a platform that you can just check out resumes or how does this work so um, my my best tip is to go by word of mouth. So network with other investors and find out who they've worked with and go with their recommendations. Now, when you do come across, of course, there, there's also Google. Um, but when you do come across a property manager, there are a ton of questions that you need to ask. And they may seem like a lot, but believe me, if you try to miss out on any of those questions, you will get it on the other end. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Earlier this year, I actually put together because I just literally like thought I'm like, you know what? This is actually something that people could actually use, and I just I made like a little booklet and put it on my website. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, I put it on my website. So just literally questions to ask your property manager, questions to ask when you're hiring a property. That's the name of the booklet. Um, because like a property manager can make or break your business. Remember now, I just told you now that I'm essentially like almost handing over the integrity of my rental property business to someone. So before you put your investment, I mean, you just paid what, $100,000 to $200,000 to buy a property. Before you hand over that investment to someone, it better be someone that you can trust. You better have asked them the right questions. You better know what fees they'll be charging you. You better know how they'll collect your rent. You need to know how they'll take care of your tenants and stuff. And even more questions, and I just put together everything on this. Oh my gosh! Like it's a, there. It's I have at least, I think it's like maybe twenty one or twenty five different questions that you have to go through. But you know, if I if I went through, Import- a <laughs> yeah, but they are important questions, right? Yeah, they, they are. <laughs> oh, so so what do you? So definitely, I'll be I'll be adding the link to the show notes. So if you guys are interested in getting the booklet just check the show notes and there'll be a link to click and buy it um how much is that though how much is the booklet oh just 12.99 12.99 okay so you have that 12.99 and the link will be in the show notes so do you prefer an agency or an individual when thinking of property managers should you go with a um is it is it better to go with an agency because they are more established or is it better to go with an individual because you can be like, Hey dude, have you done what I said you should do? Or like, how does that work? And also how does the payment work in terms of, um, okay. You kind of brushed up on it, but you didn't really go into details. Like how much do you pay a property manager on average? And Mm -hmm. Do they collect like a, a portion of the the rent, or how does or do, how does this whole payment work basically? So usually, um, they collect a portion of the rent, and again, these are these are the questions that, that I should ask them, and these are very good questions because depending on where you are, the practice may be different. Some will collect a flat fee, not too common, but a lot of them will collect a portion of the rent. Some will collect a portion of the rent that was actually collected. And some of them will collect a portion of the rent that was due. So you can see how those nuances can make or break you. So let's say you have you have an apartment that has been hard to rent, right? Mm-hmm. If, if your property manager is one of those that took just based on what was due, well, guess what? They have no incentive to fill the place because guess what? They get paid anyway. Yeah. But if, if, your, if your deal with them was that, you know what? We, you take a cut of what is collected they are motivated they fill those apartments like like there's no tomorrow like they get people in there on a dime um so yeah so you these are the things that you ask up front these are the things that you negotiate um you also negotiate how the rent is collected with them you know like you know depending on where you are even the rate will vary like up here in syracuse it's about 10 percent Plus, they may take a bit of the first month's rent. But in Rochester, my property manager there actually just takes a flat 10%. Uh, If you're in a more expensive place like, say, New York City, you may have people that would take 6%. Mm. 
again, it depends on what your arrangement is with them. But you all you ha- you can't just talk to one person. You have to talk to multiple multiple property management outfits. Now, you asked a question about which do I prefer, agency or individual? Yes. Personality type. What's your personality type? Do you like, you know, do you, are you kind of person that likes to kind of be like one in a million? <laughs> you know, for me, I like it to be somewhere in between. Like I always ask them, how many, how many um, units are you managing? Because I want to make sure that you actually know what's happening with my property. Okay. Mm. A, big, a big agency, they may have more people on the job. They may be more experienced. They may be more established. They may have a really efficient system and all of that. But my property may just be one out of 300 or sorry, one out of, sorry, that, that's a small one. It may be one out of a thousand units. Okay. Yeah. Now that may work for some people, but for my personality type, I like to kind of be special, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I tend to go for like people who, who are established enough. They have, a, they're, they're not trying to learn with me. But they don't have too many that they wouldn't know my property like right on top of their head. Does that make sense? Oh, yes, yes, it does. It does. It makes absolute sense. Yeah. So what if, what if, because you just mentioned something, you said you have a property here, a property there, and we were thinking of um, getting a property in another state. So how do you manage, um, say, having a property in Texas and you live in Chicago or you live in New York? Basically, a different state. How do you get the right property manager, and how do you go through this process? Is it the same as if you're if it's in the same state, or are there things to look out for? So there is this book by David Green. He is on Bigger Pockets. Actually, I should make sure I mention the word Bigger Pockets. He's on Bigger Pockets, but he wrote this book called Long Distance Real Estate Investing: How to Buy, Rehab, and Manage out-of-state rental properties. That's an excellent book. Um, but the, the question that, that you asked is, how do you manage all of that? It, for me, the way I got into my properties that are now out of town for me is that I lived in Rochester when I got them. Okay. So I got to learn the neighborhood. However, if you're in a place that is so expensive t- to get in and you're looking into other markets, you have to be very strategic about it. You have to learn that new market the way you learn your current market, okay? So you need to know that market like the back of your hand. How do you learn the market? You're literally, you have a realtor send you feeds and you try not to buy anything for a little while. Don't jump into it right away, but make sure you look at the properties that come on the market in the area that you're buying. And I go a lot into this on my course with my students. Like I show them literally like how, how to search, how, like this is what you put in your, in your, um, what's it called in your, in your search term. Like this is how you search for a neighborhood. These are the kind of neighborhoods that you want. I kind of break everything down and you do the same thing with your out of state property. But now you have, you now have to have a property manager because guess what? You're, you're, you're out of state. And you'll be doing your tenants a, a disservice if, yes. each time, if each time that they had an issue, they had to wait for you to figure it out from out of state. Yeah, yeah, I could, I could imagine how painful that would be as a tenant. Yeah. Um. So, because I was thinking you had to like travel, you know, to the state to actually see things on a regular. So that would kind of like include and amass a lot of um tickets, flight tickets. So it's good to know that you have this covered in your course and we'll be putting the link to the course in the show notes and the link to the book by David Green as well in the show notes. So be sure to check the show notes out. Um, so just, just, just one quick thing. You yeah. will still, if you want to, if you want to invest out of, out of state, out of town, you will still need to make trips over. Don't get it wrong, but your preliminary search can be done remotely. But you will still need to step foot on the on the property. Don't don't do sight unseen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but it would it just wouldn't be as you know as so so on average how how much travel would you expect to do? Um, well, it depends on how aggressive you are with your marketing. I have a friend right now who is currently looking out of town, and he's been traveling quite a bit, going back and forth to see places. Um, 
For me, when I bought in Rochester, I was actually in Brooklyn, New York, but I knew I was going to Rochester. So we made, I made three trips out there in a six month period. Yeah. Three, tri- three trips in six months. Oh, okay. Okay. That's, yeah, a, so that's a good estimate. Yeah. Okay. Each trip has to be well planned. You need to have, you need to know what you're planning on doing. You need to have a realtor already. You need to have a property in mind that you're going to see. You need to really define what you plan to achieve with each, each trip um, and make sure that every moving part is in place before your trip. Otherwise, it'll be a wasted trip. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the next question I wanted to ask you is, this is all good stuff. And real estate investing, rental properties in particular, is supposed to help you build wealth. So... I want to know, like, you touched on this, but you didn't really go into it. So I want us to go into it now. What is the math? What should you be expected? Is it a very lucrative um, investment? Or is this something that you go slow and steady with um, growth and safety? How does this all work? What's the math? Can you give us an average of, say, New York? And what other state are you familiar with? Uh, Mostly New York as a state, but I know the New York city market. And I know the upstate New York market. Like, okay. So you can give us examples with those just to give the listeners an idea of, um, the math, how profitable it is. Is it, should you, should they be expecting like very lucrative, go, 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 go (laughs) aggressive. Or is this a market where you should go, you should take it slow, slow and steady wins the race, safety growth. How, how does this work? I, I believe that in any business venture that you have, your profit and your speed depends on your model. Now, in real estate, there's as a continuum or a spectrum of things that you can do. You can plug yourself into every portion of the real estate transaction cycle mm-hmm. and profit from that from that um, portion. So. Part of what makes or breaks your profit in real estate is the niche that you choose, which again will vary by personality type. But some niches are known for their aggressive, um, high risk, high profit nature. But as you pick your niche, know that high risk, high profit, don't ignore the high risk part. Because, for example, flipping properties, right? Yeah. You find a property. For- Cheap, a lot of work. You put all the work into it. You make like sixty k on a rehab. Awesome, that's great. But guess what? If that rehab turns south and things don't work out as planned, you may lose. Mm. <laughs> you lose at the end of the day. My very first deal ever, we lost ten thousand dollars without even without even like breaking a sweat. Like it, it, it happened that way. So. There, there are different niches in real estate. There's flipping properties, which is, like I said, is rehab. Um, it's, like I said, high risk, high reward. Um, but then there's like the slow and steady way of simply, um, you know, buy and hold. You buy a property, nothing fancy. You put tenants in there and over time they pay up your mortgage. And over time you buy another one and buy a third and buy a fourth. Um, but that's like slow and steady. You end up keeping the rewards of that over a longer period of time you you don't necessarily take on as much risk because like i said if you run the numbers well then your tenant should be able to pay for everything on the property and you probably wouldn't be losing much over the long term okay and then happy middle Mm -hmm. where you do a little bit of rehab and then you rent it out and hold it on the long term so that one kind of puts you it gives you the reward of you can buy dirt cheap because it needs rehab but then it also gives you the safety of putting it as a rental and covering your your mistakes over a long period of time. Um, so it depends. So numbers wise, I can tell you, for example, like in Brooklyn, things are very expensive. So not much cash flow there. So you may buy something for like $900,000 and you may have to put, out, put money out of your pocket to, to pay your mortgage. But somewhere in like Rochester, things aren't that expensive. You can probably buy like a three bedroom, uh, two bath, for example, at like, you know, depending on where you buy it, it could range anywhere from $20,000 to $200,000. 
and you could easily you could cash flow a little easier in these in these in these areas too. Like one of my sweetest properties that I like is a single family house. We bought it for eighty five for seventy five thousand dollars, and we make maybe like four hundred four hundred dollars a month on that one house. So just to give you an idea. Yeah, that's 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 a good picture you just painted. You talk a lot about personality and how yes. it affects your decision in real estate investment. So, my question to you is how do you, how do you find your personality? How do you know your personality in terms of real estate? Just think about what scares you, okay? If you're the kind of person that you, that if if I told you, "Oh my gosh, you just lost $10,000" and that freaks you out, and maybe you shouldn't be flipping houses because you may lose on a deal. If 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 I if I, if I told you, well, you just lost ten k, like, oh, okay, I, I guess I'll make it up on the next one. Then maybe that's your personality type that you you don't mind risk and you don't like you don't mind taking on a risk for a higher reward. That that, that that's your your personality type. If you're the kind of person that you're like, you know what, I'm okay. I'll just take it like slow and steady, and I'm ready to just grow this and, and build a legacy for my children. And I don't mind it taking me fifty years. Well, there you go. Buy and hold. Just buy a nice old, good old rentable property and let it sit and let it just grow old with you <laughs> over time. <laughs> oh, you mentioned you mentioned that the property that you currently live in, you initially bought it as an investment. Yes. So for people that are just new to this whole property buying, right? They would just want to buy their first home to possibly live in. How should they be thinking the same strategies or is there something different? Because I know from, you know, my research and all of that, you need to think about school districts. And if you have kids, of course, moms that are listening, they have kids or they're already going to school or will soon be hitting the school age. Right. So what should they be thinking about? And is this, is it the same process? So. It should be the same process because most of the time when people are, when people buy their first home, they say, oh, well, I'm trying to buy, I'm, I'm trying to invest in my, in my future. I'm trying to invest in, you know, to buy an asset. Right. Yeah. But, um, Robert Kiyosaki actually has this nice thing where he says an asset is something that puts money in your pocket and a, and a liability, is something that takes money from your pocket. But a lot of people, when they buy, they just look for like the nicest and the fanciest property. That at the end of the day, they don't consider well. At the end of the day, they have to pay a mortgage, they have to mow the lawn, they have to, um, you know, clean the house somehow, update things, keep things like heating, electric, all of that, and all that takes money out of your pocket. So how do you buy your personal home as an investment? You make sure you buy something that you could that by the time if you if you turn around to sell it the next day, you make a profit on. So. The sweetest deals are usually properties that need some work that most people would turn away from mm. that you can easily there and simply put lipstick on and raise them. <laughs> okay. I like the way you use lipstick. <laughs> That's what I did with this one. We got this house. It's a it's a pretty sizable house actually. And we got it for 285 but we we made the seller pay for our closing costs what what so what the, you said you made the seller pay how do you do that oh that's a whole nother story <laughs> <laughs> i was like did i hear right wow absolutely, absolutely. there's there's so much there's so much real estate there's so much we we, we had the seller we built into our offer and asked the seller to pay for up to $8,000 of our closing costs. And by the time we were done, we were able to, we walked away closing costs and all, we only paid $17,000 on a house that is worth $285,000. By the way, on the day that we closed, that house was, the house was worth at least $300,000. So we wow. built in a lot of equity. But it was something such that even if we put, we turn around and sold the house the very next day, we would still make a profit. That's what I mean by buying your house as an investment. But now, guess what? We painted the inside, mm-hmm. and now 
you walk into the house, I'm pretty sure the value has gone up considerably just by applying a coat of paint. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Wow. This is all good stuff. Good stuff. You seem extremely knowledgeable in this. How do you manage um, being a mom mm -hmm. and being a physician and being into real estate? How do you do it all? What's your trick? What's your strategy? <laughs> well, praise God. That's my first thing. I have help. I have a lot of help. And that's one thing you have to learn. As an entrepreneur, you have to build systems. You have to have systems in place. You don't have to be the one doing every single thing. Uh, when I first got married, for example, like before I got married, I like to have my pepper, my salt, my spices arranged in a particular way in my, in my pantry. But when I got married and um, I found out that my husband didn't mind being in the kitchen, but what that meant was that things may not be in the exact place that I want them. I was like, look, I could choose. I could either let him be in the kitchen and do what he wants to do, or I could be a stickler and want my pepper and salt in the, in, in the exact place. <laughs> well, guess which one I chose, okay? Yeah, I know. <laughs> have the kitchen all you want. Like, have all of the kitchen. <laughs> a lot of the problem that we have as moms sometimes is that we, we want to control every single detail. Well, you don't have to control every single detail. You can simply control what needs your attention. If you control what needs your attention, like, for example, in real estate, finding the deals, making sure you're getting at a, at a, at a good price, then once you take care of the important stuff, you can let others do what they're good at. So hire a property manager. He knows all the rental laws. He knows all the tenants, you know, um, um, nitty gritties. You know, he knows those things that you don't have time to learn or deal with. And then he mm. can report at, at the end of the month. If you keep trying to hold on to everything, well, you won't have time for anything. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Thank you so much for all the information today. We're so excited to have you on the show. And we hope to have another conversation with you soon, a follow-up conversation. Thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. It's really been fun speaking with you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I would love you to do just two things. One, share it with a friend, another mom who you think will benefit from this episode. There's love in sharing. And two, I would love to get to know you better. Let's chat. Book a free call at dreampermit.com slash chat. Or you can send an email to emma at dreampermit.com. That is E-M-M-A at dreampermit.com. I'll be waiting for your calls and emails. And until next time, stay fabulously gorgeous. And remember, motherhood is not a hindrance. It's an advantage.